turn up to the joint you want to be with your squad. Hashtag squad goals? No, you're you're not listening to a another kind of weird podcast. This is still Big Nerdy Questions. And after a week of Matt's hosting, you probably could tell already that Josh is back in control. Uh, I am, uh, of course, your host and founder of Big Nerdy Questions, Josh. And today's episode, we're going to be doing some squad goals. We're going to see which squad would be best in a crisis. How do we determine that? Well, our panelists are each going to pick a squad, tell us why they're good in a crisis, and then I am going to give them each three crisis situations that they will choose at random. And at the end of the episode, the rest of the panelists will vote on which person has successfully proven that their squad can best handle any kind of crazy crisis thrown their way. This could be entertaining for me, but hopefully for you as well. Uh, But before we get any further, Matt, who is our quote-unquote sponsor for this night's uh, proceedings? Well, Josh, today's episode is brought to us by Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru, just because you're supposed to lose doesn't mean you have to. (laughs) A very good point considering the episode that we are about to have. Let me introduce the rest of the panel. Uh, of course, you just heard Matt, who hosted our last episode, and thank you, sir, for a job well done. Yeah, no, wait, wait, you said it was squads? Because I, I thought it was quads, so I prefer, prepared my favorite quadrilateral. Oh, man. So so, so I can't nominate the rhombus, then. Yeah, the rhombus wait. is the winner, right? Uh, I, I'm, t- I'm team rhombus. I'm team rhombus. But, yeah, it's Hashtag squad. Team exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, I like hashtag equilateral triangle. Yes! Uh, so as Breaking you can hear, we have uh, Colleen who just broke the rule, first rule of mathematics. Well done, Colleen. Oh, it's just another day that ends in Y. <laughs> and as you heard, we have uh, JP with us. I, I am here, and I just want to say we we are a a weird podcast. So I just want to clarify. It's true. That. We are. We are, yeah. and we're a, we're 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 a squad. We're a squad. Absolutely, uh, and we get it done. We do. We 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 squad up. Uh, Rachel is with us. Hello. And we have Kenneth back, and for the second week in a row, uh, very awesome to have Kenneth back. Uh, welcome back to the show, sir. Yahoy. So you you've uh, had some interesting choices. You've had. Badasses, Indiana Jones and Han Solo, so Harrison Ford, immersive mm. gaming, and now you are throwing yourself at the mercy of me. <laughs> I'm not sure you are ready for that, sir, but I hope that you are. It's going to be entertaining. Uh, so, as you've heard by now in our previous episodes, we have a real sponsor, Fleetwit.com, uh, and they have are the sponsoring a new segment on the show called the Fleetwit. Uh, sorry, the Fleet Wit Question of the Week, 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 week. Uh, where the host of the episode will provide a question to the panelists, and the panelists in turn will try to guess their answer. The host will then tell you the answer and tell you about why Fleet Wit is awesome. So, for this week's question, the word squad may have a recent change for squad goals as far as usage in modern language. But squad actually comes from a Latin word for a what? A, a bird. B, a shape. C, a type of cheese. Or D, a geographic feature. I'll start with Kenneth. 
shape was B, correct? Yes. I'm going to go with B. I'm going to say it's a shape. All right. Colleen. Um, I honestly wasn't listening, so I'm going to go with the geographic feature. Geographic feature. Sounds good to me. JP. I Just thinking about this, I... I'm I'm about half fluent in Spanish, and I can't think of any words that sound like any of these choices, or any any, any Spanish words for these choices that sound anything like the word squad. So that is a tough one. Um, I am, however, going to agree with Colleen and say geologic formation, geographic feature, geographic feature. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, Rachel. Shape. Shape and Matt. I'm going with shape. Shape. Three to two for for the words. All right. So it deri- it deri- it derives actually from an Italian word that came from Latin. The Italian word was squadra, uh, which comes from the Latin word uh, quadrus, literally a four sided square. Uh, the answer is B, a shape. Because the earliest squads in the 1480s formed in squares due to the nature of Italian city construction. Uh, Now you know the squad comes from squares. That was a lovely history and uh, language question. But uh, JP, I believe that they can find more of questions like that on Fleetwit.com. Tell the people about it. It, yes, uh, unlike me, you might be smart enough to know the difference between a geographic feature and a geologic formation. <laughs> I bet that you would also like to have Ken Jennings on your squad. Well, uh, unfortunately, you, you can't because he's probably not available. But if you think you could take him down in a trivia contest, well, now is your chance. On Fleetwit, you can compete in accuracy and speed-based trivia races for a chance to win real prizes. There are hundreds of races to choose from, including free ones almost daily. But consider yourself warned. Ken is out there somewhere. Fleetwood is like a... Fleetwood is like a 24-7 game show at your fingertips, and it's playable on computers and mobile devices via Fleetwit.com, and Apple users can also find it on the App Store. Josh? Thank you, JP, and thank you, Fleetwit, for your sponsorship. And uh, I also want to give a big thanks uh, to the fine people at Blood and Gourd Comics, who are uh, the sort the subject of tonight's big nerdy recommendation. Uh, Blood and Gourd Comics sent us uh, review issues a while ago. I, I must be must say I've been remiss to uh, mention them on the show. They've sent us some amazing artwork. They have artists working on their uh, comics who used to work for DC Comics and Nightwing, I believe, uh, and they write some amazingly dark and funny comics uh as the name would suggest with blood and gourd one of the central characters does have a pumpkin for a head not to be confused with the titular pumpkin head on film who does not have a gourd for a head and in the (laughs) first scene of the first issue of the comic a person is killed by a flying pumpkin so if that sounds like your kind of comic and let's be honest it probably does uh then you might want to check out uh, Blood and Gourd Comics. Check out the link in the show notes. And thank you again to Jens and the entire crew at Blood and Gourd Comics for giving us a preview issue. The artwork is beautiful. It is engrossing. And it is pr- appropriately dark and funny at the same time. 
Uh, so you will not be disappointed to help out these indie comics artists and authors at Blood and Gourd Comics. One, one might say that they are a squash squad. Lame. Okay. <laughs> I do that affectionately. <laughs> well, and, well, I, 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 I just go ahead. I invited them to the polka dance, but they apparently didn't like the sound of the accordion. <laughs> oh, See how 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 is that one better than mine? It's not. It wasn't. <laughs> it's not. Um, but I'm known for it. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, it's true. It's true. I, I try. I get criticized. Josh doesn't. <laughs> like, oh, I'm SpongeBob it. proof, baby. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, boy, Alberto. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. I just suddenly, I'm regretting agreeing to doing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that part comes later. <laughs> no, no. Trust me. With my history on these. It comes almost immediately. Well, I was gonna say you just got. I will bombs. say there are a couple <laughs> traps on there of the fifteen, but most of them are actually real crises. So the odds are in your favor. I say that now, but you might get both of them. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so now it is time for the big nerdy question. As I said at the beginning of the episode, which squad would be most uh, would most effectively handle a crisis situation. In this uh, episode, we are defining squad as a, within a favorite franchise, the central group of characters that are together in a squad or a crew. Uh, if I were to play along tonight, my choice would be the crew of the Enterprise D. I think Jean-Luc Picard I've established as one of the best captains in all of fiction, one of the best leaders, and I think the crew around him brings out the best of each other between Geordi and Data and Riker and Troy, and yes, even Wesley Crusher, and of course uh, Worf. Uh, but I'm not playing along, but that's the kind of squad we're doing. It doesn't have to be science fiction. It can be sci-fi, fantasy, any kind of uh, show, as long as it is a identifiable squad or crew or whatever words you want to use. Uh, so each person on the panel is has one choice for their squad, and only one, uh, because they'll be repping this squad for the entire episode. Uh, so because uh, JP was unfairly maligned uh, with his pun, I will let him announce his squad first. <laughs> oh, I thought long and hard about this, and while I, I would have... Probably, if I had to go Star Trek, I, I would have probably said uh, the original series crew, because I, I, I think that that's a better supporting crew around a inferior captain, in my opinion. Um, I ended up going with an option that is much more fun to me, and I will be defending the Planet Express crew from Futurama. <laughs> awesome. Oh, well, I'm going to love it. Well done. Uh, why, and just briefly before we go into the next section, why do you think the Planet Express crew can handle a crisis well? Look, it, everybody rips on them for being a, a, a group of just totally incompetent boobs, but at the end of the day, they have survived every suicide mission that the professor has sent them on. And not only that, the most important part, they still deliver the package. They get it done. They true. That's true. They they do get it done. They squat up. Yes. It, isn't Planet Express's actual slogan, uh, "Our crew is expendable. Your package isn't." Um. If it's not, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Rachel. 
what squad are you repping? I am going with the group known as the Crystal Gems in Steven Universe, which is small spoiler, but you know we're not we're we're we're, we're big nerdy questions. We don't avoid spoilers. Yeah, there. I know. Uh, which comprise uh, Steven Universe, Garnet, Pearl, uh, Amethyst, and Peridot. Um, uh, since they're actually the group that considers themselves part of the Crystal Gems, that's why I'm sticking with those particular characters. Awesome. And why do you think the Crystal Gems would handle a crisis well? Well, they all have individual strengths. They kind of see themselves as a family now, and I just think it would be interesting. Well I done. Think they're pretty dynamic. Uh, Kenneth, who is your choice, sir? The crew of the Heart of Gold. Aha! Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And why do you think that this crew is going to handle my crisis situations with extreme confidence and success? Well, confidence, because those of us, those of them that aren't drunk off their gourd are too stupid to know they're in danger. Success, please, your argument cannot possibly be more invalid. <laughs> I see where this is going, and I like it. Uh, Colleen, uh, I... I uh, you've been the mystery to me, I think, because there's so many squads you could pick, and but you always go out of left field with a great choice. Which squad mm. are you repping? So I'll mention my alternate choices, uh, the ones that I thought about and then just discarded. So at first I was thinking, oh, you know, there's the, the actors, you know, the crew from uh, Galaxy Quest. And I was like, yeah, that's a little obvious for me. So then I thought, well, how about the Gryffindor Pee-wee, you know, Quidditch team? But I don't know all those people. <laughs> then I briefly, I did briefly consider bringing in uh, the Infinity Stones uh, because they're supposed to be like somewhat sentient or something. But then I thought <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of fun. Uh, and they are the ultimate powers, you know, source yes, in the universe. Of so, uh, but ultimately, I uh, decided on uh, the gang from Mystery Inc. So Scooby Doo. And his crew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Josh, do you do a good Scooby? Uh, <clears throat> really, Raggy. <laughs> that was pretty good. I was hoping you could ask her why they, they, uh, choosing uh, the Mystery Inc. But yes, uh, why Mystery Inc.? <laughs> because it just seemed like it would be so much fun. It is going and, to be so much fun. <laughs> that's that's what this is all about. We don't need intelligent reasons. Scooby for this. snacks Just, all the way around. Oh, absolutely. And are uh, you kidding me? I was going to pick out a, like literally just a bunch of stones. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, well, there, there. I believe Shaggy is stoned, uh, so you, you didn't go too far <laughs> off base. Uh, maybe he's playing uh, that game constantly, right, JP? <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, that's that's just uh, something I don't do much anymore, man. <laughs> I know. Back in your uh, younger and more f- uh, formidable days, anyone Certainly. get the uh, the Great Gatsby reference there? Uh, <laughs> I did. Yes, well done. And uh, Matt, I-, I hesitate to ask because I'm afraid <laughs> of the answer. But what squad are you repping, sir? Well, I, I thought about it for a while because. I had considered doing the crew with the Millennium Falcon or maybe one of the super teams from Marvel Comics, but I wanted something that that's kind of 
actively ongoing. And, you know, I, I, I watch an unhealthy amount of sci-fi like the rest of us. And I thought, I'm going to pick the best ship's crew currently on television in the Federation of Planets. And that is the crew of the USS Orville. Discovery be damned. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So this is going to be interesting and fascinating and somewhat dark because some of these scenarios I would never have expected Mystery Inc. to get into. So this is going to be entertaining <laughs> as all hell. So, oh, come on. Those kids and their crazy shenanigans. They get into anything. I have 15 possibilities. So uh, you will go in that order that I just started with. So we'll do uh, JP, Rachel, Kenneth, Colleen, and Matt. Uh, and you will pick a number from 1 to 15, and if that number is taken, then you'll pick a different number, and I will remind you of that. Uh, and that number goes with a particular crisis, uh, which I have written very generally, but when I read it out to you, I will customize it to your squad uh, as much as I can. Uh, I'm sorry that there's no 42 selection for Kenneth, uh, but we all know that if he would have chosen scenario 42... <laughs> The whole podcast would have become a single space-time singularity uh, where the answer is, why not? Uh, but unfortunately, we, only, we just have the 15. So you will have about three to four minutes to tell us how your, your quad, your quad, uh, your, now I'm doing it, Matt, when your squad or crew <laughs> would respond to this scenario. So, uh, JP... Because you always get Spongebobbed. You're going first in this uh, in the round, Robin. You might still get Spongebobbed depending on what number you choose. Uh, 1 through 15, sir. Pick your poison. Uh, 11. 11. And these are fairly short crises, all right? So here's your crisis, Josh. A oh cult leader has made an announcement. He will murder one innocent individual every 10 minutes until your crew hands over its most valuable possessions. Go. Um, Bender is typically the only one with any uh, anything of value because he either came on board with it or he stole it over the course of the voyage. So um, Bender is the only one freaking out by this, and and it's everyone else is just saying, "Dude, just give back the stuff you stole." And it's all good. Well, Bender Bender's response to that is, of course, bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> <laughs> and and this this goes on this goes on for some time until. Uh, <laughs> Wow, this this is awesome, guys. Until <laughs> until Leela uh, gets a gets the an industrial magnet on you know attached to the ship because there totally is one <laughs> and uh, and attaches it to Bender. Bender starts uh, singing folk songs, which is per the norm when he gets uh, into contact <laughs> with the magnet, and everything just kind of falls out of his, uh, his chest cavity. <laughs> Fry and Leela scoop it all up, give it to the cult leader, and uh, <laughs> and the the cult leader surprisingly or not so surprisingly decides to start killing people anyway. At, at which point Leela just gives one of her famous roundhouse kicks 
to the to, to the guy's ray gun, and that anticlimactically ends that hostage situation. <laughs> that sounds uh, exactly like an episode of Futurama. Yeah, right? <laughs> well done. Like, I would be shocked if that hasn't actually happened on the show. <laughs> and they are all given medals for bravery by the space pope, the real religious head of the galaxy. <laughs> Uh, well handled, sir. I try. That that was a, a good way to, to turn a potentially one of the more serious ones into something not serious at all. So, oh, yeah. well done. Uh, that, that's perfect. That These are essentially prompts to go as crazy as you want to. So, with that in mind, it is time uh, for the gyms to get their crack at it. Rachel, give me a number 1 through 15. 11's already taken. Hmm. I'm free to go with numbers I like, because then it's my own fault. (laughs) I want to go with three. Number three. Your squad is exploring a new territory that no one has ever been to before, but they can't find any known sources of food or water. They have no navigational equipment because they've lost it all, and it's already been two days without food. Water supply is dwindling. Well... This is hilarious because only one of the members needs to eat and drink. <laughs> only Steven, who is part human, needs to sleep, eat, or drink. Yeah, but he eats so, a lot. But he does eat a lot. So. <laughs> he eats enough for like six people. Uh, well, he's a, he's a broken boy, as he would say. Uh, good lord. Well, if they lost the equipment, it's definitely Paris' fault. He probably had it and lost it. Uh, or tried to improve it and then broke it. Or, yeah, she's the <laughs> uh, That probably won't well. Um, so, they're a little bit better off because only Steven has to eat. Hmm. They're, they're trying to find food and water in this, in this place. Okay. Well, depending on how they got there, whether they crash-landed... Uh, you can see. establish... Early, every, everything I didn't say, you can fill in the blanks and make it work. Yeah. Okay, so, I'm assuming they, they, they crashed. Or they teleported. They have a teleporter. And they can't get back now. So, if they have a ship... Uh, That's ironic. <laughs> One-way teleporter? <laughs> well, it actually happens in the show a lot. They'll teleport somewhere, and then while they're doing something, something will destroy the teleporter. It's like a big stone in the ground. <laughs> so, something well, falls on it and breaks it. Plus, one-way oh, teleporters Jesus. have cheaper tickets. <laughs> yeah. <I'm sure. laughs> I would hope. your trip wrong and the TSA gets flagged damn it Expedia (laughs) yeah okay so Perdo's trying to fix the ship and her and Pearl are bickering about how to fix the ship and Garn standing around being stoic and Amethyst oh Amethyst likes to eat even though she doesn't have to so she probably ate everything She's probably the reason they're out of food. There's, yeah, she's probably the reason they're out of food. Uh, <laughs> like, they turn around, food's gone. Well, crap. Uh, they, they honestly probably split off into groups of two, uh, looking for food. Uh, and then uh, Steven, like, acts like he's, you know, like, like he's in a desert and there's no water. And he's, like, crawling around going, water. And the adventure, of course, in the nick of time, managed to find something. But uh, it's another harrowing episode. (laughs) 
And in the end, it was it's all about the character development. Yeah. Yep. Now, do they they have magic power essentially a little bit, right? The the gems. Yeah. Do any yeah. of them have the uh, capacity to create things or to change things? Like, could they take a branch and turn it into water or food? Or no. well, it, if she had included lapis lazuli in her crew, then yes. But, but la- she didn't. But lapis lazuli, uh, she's she's a she's a water terraformer. Aha. So, so she, she would have been really useful in this case. Yeah, but she she hasn't yet admitted she's part of the crystal gems yet. So Aha. I well, it's only it's only fair. Yeah. So yeah, I but, decided to go. I decided to be. Otherwise, I just start throwing members all over the place. <laughs> well, still, they would they would find a way, and at least the good thing with that one is you only had one person, you know, who was hungry instead of everybody. So it was a okay. ironic one for your crew, Josh. Because you said they'll find a way, I thought you should know that part of their very short theme song is, uh, uh, I just lost it. We'll always find a way. Yeah. Uh, and if you think we can't, we'll always find a way. I'm not kidding. And like, yeah. wow. the 20 second theme song. That's one of the things. I've learned yeah. two things there. One, Rachel's a really good singer. And two, oh, no. and, uh, and, uh, and two, I've been 15 years, but she don't believe me. I just, <laughs> Learned that I made an unintentional pun. It's it's in my yeah, blood. Yeah, I know. Uh, so well, well done, Rachel. Yes, we'll always save the day, and if you think we can't, we'll always find a way. There you go. Nice. So okay. we have had a cult leader and a uh, forbidding place. Where are we going next, Kenneth? Where is the heart of gold taking us? Pick your number one through fifteen. Two and eleven or three and eleven are taken. Let's go with six. Six. While traveling in the heart of gold. A structural failure has emerged. Uh, it's threatening to uh, make the threatening a blowout, and of course, everyone would die. The only way to fix the failure is to send one of your squad to certain death, because they will have to manually override something that will send them out into space, but save the rest of the crew. Well, now you see, my squad includes a cooperative, albeit begrudgingly android who does not in fact require air aha and is accustomed to the crushing vacuum of space as it so closely parallels the own or the crushing vacuum of his own bleak existence and the <laughs> void emptiness within his heart so while marvin sits there and monologues for a bit <laughs> I imagine Zaphod would crack open a gargle blaster and put uh-huh. and apply his peril-sensitive sunglasses. <laughs> Ford would be actively, actively engaged in keeping Arthur from wandering out the door <laughs> for reasons. Eventually, someone would either A, shove Marvin out to do his job because, let's face it, he's Marvin, <laughs> or B, engage the probability drive, in which case the <laughs> structural integrity, which is currently threatening, would, I suspect, begin... I, I, I like the folk song bit from the Futurama, so yeah, we can go, go that. Um, would begin to provide background music and uplifting folk tales, etc., and we would all move on with life. Structural integrity resolved. <laughs> <laughs> 
Marvin. Nice. Who knew how useful Marvin would be? Well, well done. Uh, and of course, Marvin. <laughs> not starving, Marvin. That's a different show. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, Colleen, your first choice. A please for the mystery ga- ink. Okay, which numbers are taken? Eleven, three, and which one was just chosen? Six. 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 Ah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, no, no, no. We have what? Is it one through fifteen? Yes. Okay. See, I need these reminders. It's the weekend. My brain is turned off. Okay. Oh, we understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's go with thirteen. Lucky thirteen. Lucky thirteen. Oh, <laughs> two oh, members. Oh, that was not an evil laugh. No. Two members of your squad have fallen in love with the same person, and they have both asked the leader's help in resolving this love triangle, or else Q- crew unity will be a thing of the past. <laughs> and I didn't get this one. This actually happened. Okay. This seems to be more like a trope. <laughs> Is it Rob Poe? Whereas Mike is almost completely made up of space lesbians. <laughs> well, space rocks. Okay, gay space rocks. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my lord! I I would, for the purposes of this, I would assume it would probably be uh, Velma and Daphne falling in love with the same person outside of. The mystery. Oh, Although... I was gonna go in a completely different no, way. Go in a different... So no. I was gonna say a couple different things. How this could, how this could go, right? Oh, play it out. Play but, it out. But, but okay. So that my my first thought was was simply that um, Fred would have fallen in love with himself because he would have not <laughs> have realized that essentially he was he was you know looking at himself in a mirror and <laughs> fell in love with himself. <laughs> But also convinced that the person in the mirror was his rival, and so he's all mad about it. You know, like, oh, you know, this person they're in love, they're in love with the same person that I love, and I realize it's the same one because it's Fred. He's an idiot. So all that would take would either would Velva would just you know just smack him in the back of the head, and then that would be resolved. Um, take the damn mirror away from him. Uh, the other the other route I was going, I, I could go with this is that. Um, Essentially, you have two crew members who fall in love with the, the same person, but then if they realize that it's just uh, uh, Scraggy or Scooby dressed up as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then once, and once they do the reveal, well, they're not really in love with him anymore. <laughs> well, I think Shaggy loves Scooby, just in not that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're toast best, best buds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would love that. <laughs> A rant. I love that the romance crisis was hit to Mystery Inc. <laughs> <laughs> of all the different ones. That's so the only go. romance crisis I have, so that was perfect. Well, they had an episode where they had an not not in the same way, kind of like where you had two people in love with each other, but there was a... Just for the one episode only, there was there was a character they introduced. It was a, a girl who was desperately like in love with Shaggy, and he spent pretty much the entire episode trying to get as far away from her as possible, almost as much time as he tried to avoid the ghosts. Wow. <laughs> 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 All right, Matt, uh, you have the next crack in round one. Three, six, twelve, eleven, and thirteen are taken. Uh, where is the Orville crew taking us? Let's go to the uncharted space that is 
Question eight. Question eight. When you catch a member of your crew attempting sabotage, you quickly figure out that they have been brainwashed, but you cannot figure out by whom, and you see no immediate way to repair the damage. Mm. Oh man, now I wish I had this one. It'd be so easy. It'd be like Shaggy, you gotta, you gotta lay off the marriage. <laughs> now, is it a member of my main group of the crew, yes. or an ancillary crew member? It is one of the main members of the crew. That is going to greatly change depending on who got caught. You, allow, you? are allowed to choose which member has been caught. This okay. is like Pokemon. You get to choose. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say that it's going to be the science and engineering officer, Isaac, who is a member of a synthetic race, synthetic race called the Kalon, who believe themselves to be superior to all other species in every way because they can be upgraded. All right. So he would, I would say he would likely be caught by either... Well, actually, he would probably be caught by something actually starting to go wrong and be confronted by the security chief, Alara, who she looks like a very tiny human woman, but she's actually a member of a species called the Salaean. And they are from a planet with higher gravity. So because they use Earth gravity on the ships, she's extremely strong and can pick people up and throw them great distances or just punch them great distances. I like option B. So she would likely catch him and strain him by force, and despite the strength of his gears, her sheer strength would be enough to restrain him, and then they would invariably interrogate him and then he would explain why the sabotage that he was doing was actually in some way benefiting and even protecting them. Then the bigger crisis that he prevented goes by and they realize he was actually helping. I think it's actually a plausible Orville plot. That that actually is a plausible plot of that show. Yeah. Uh, well done. And, and he would be a condescending dick the whole time. Oh, yeah. He would, <clears throat> he'd be like, you seriously think I'm sabotaging the ship? I hate you, but not that much. <laughs> I wonder what would Everything happen. Everything is about you, you know. If Isaac, well, I <laughs> his, uh, his conversation with Captain Ed Mercer, played by played by Seth MacFarlane, would go something on the long lines of, "Captain, I am offended that you would ever consider that I would sabotage the ship, but it is not your fault. For your inferior mind simply <clears throat> capable of understanding the grand scheme in which." I am actually protecting the ship. But you will understand soon. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, I wonder what would happen if Isaac and Marvin had a drink together. <laughs> God. It's, it's, uh, yeah, they can uh, watch the entire universe implode at the rest and at the end of the universe. And it sounds yeah, like Peridot would be an interesting mix of that group, too. So, but, you know, the one sneaking the light around. <laughs> so car- carbon-based life forms, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Bender, Bender would be the them too. Yes, yes, this needs to be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best uh, disgruntled non-carbonary life form in science fiction? That 
That sounds like a B and Q waiting to happen. It does. Mm. Indeed. And, uh, and, and now R2 and IGA. The Infinity Stones! <laughs> I'm going to go with the B&Q Horta. The has an on-air production meeting. <laughs> the Horta from Star Trek, the original series. Because uh, it's silicon-based, not carbon. Um, it's just protecting its young. But Okay, so that was round one. So let us recap. In round one... Uh, the Futurama crew deflected a cult leader because of Bender's magnet and folk music. I love that. Uh, uh, Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> the Steven Universe crew found a way because they always do because none of them were hungry except Steven. Uh, the Heart of Gold kicked in the probability drive and due to folk music and a reluctant Marvin saved the day. Fred fell in love with his own reflection aboard uh, the Mystery Inc. van, but Velma <laughs> quickly resolved the situation by explaining he was a dumbass. <laughs> and uh, Isaac saved the Orville, even though everyone else on board was so stupid and thought that he was actually trying to sabotage the bloody ship. Round one complete, and I think all of you have done very well so far. Both of the traps are still in play. It's a trap! Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, so it. round two, JP, you will have the floor one more time. We have one, two, four, five, seven, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen, or fifteen. Fourteen. Fourteen. A member of a hostile race is found inside your ship, and with no explanation, but she claims to be a deserter who now wants to join Planet Express. We need to play yeah. elevator music right yeah, now. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> All right, so she shows up, um, and Fry is definitely the first person to meet her, um, but he only sees her in passing, hiding, you know, in the cargo hold of the ship. And he tries to get Leela's attention to, to let her know that this, this mysterious alien woman is, you know, skirting around in the cargo hold, uh, but she never sees it and just thinks that Fry's an idiot. Well, this goes on <laughs> for some time, like the Gremlins episode of, uh, of Twilight Zone. Uh, then, once her existence is verified, she, uh, they, they, they bring her out, they all talk to her, um, and... They determined that they're not going to trust her, but they will give her safe passage until they get to the to to their destination for the package they're delivering. Well, it it turns out uh, <laughs> it turns out that their destination is the home planet of this hostile race of you know human hating <laughs> uh, what whatever they are, <laughs> and. Uh, only only she can can safely deliver the package to the destination so after a long uh, after a, a very long deliberation uh, on uh, filled by an 80s music montage of course <laughs> they determine that they should uh, go ahead and and give her a chance and she <laughs> they she they they beam her down uh she delivers the package successfully, and uh, she. 
and they they uh, they, they they try to uh, let her back on the ship to thank her. At which point, um, her and uh, four more of her friends draw weapons on them and hijack the Planet Express ship in an attempt <laughs> to take it to go find another place to live. <laughs> because it turned out they were outlaws on that planet as well. <laughs> so this goes on. This goes on for some time. Uh, they're they're flying around, and Leela does the one thing that Leela really doesn't want to do. She calls a certain person for help. Mm, <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Look who's come crawling back, Miss Leela. <laughs> <laughs> Zap! <laughs> oh, jeez! I, I can't even continue doing this with a straight face. Zap! <laughs> Zap! Zap! Zap and his, uh, his his Democratic Order of Planets or Dupe ship uh, shows up. <laughs> this is a fun word to say, right? Dupe. Um, they they show up to try to uh, to liberate the Planet, Planet Express ship from these space pirates. And once he boards the ship. He immediately goes into seduction mode, trying to seduce these female alien life forms. And as it turns out, that is the one thing that saves the ship. They cannot stand to be around Zap Brannigan for more than five minutes and wonder how it was that Leela slept with them. <laughs> so they leave forever. Leela does not feel good about herself, but at least has her ship back. And Zat Brannigan goes away thinking that he saved Leela, the damsel in distress, once again. And uh, that's how the episode ends. <laughs> oh, I li- oh, God. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I like it. They would, they would hijack Zat Brannigan's yeah. entire ship. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that message just a second too late, Colleen. I could have <laughs> Are you sure you're not a Futurama writer? Because these are like eerily good for for what this show could be. Yeah, and I, and I I know I'm not delivering them well because I'm coming up with them off the top of my head as I say them for the most part. <laughs> yeah, it's... I can imagine that that Fry like going to Leela over and over again. There's somebody in the cargo hold. Oh, Fry. I like I like the idea that the the the, the female aliens would uh, you know hijack Zap. Uh, ship with and they leave Zap Brannigan uh, on you know the Planet Express ship and Leela and crew are stuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that one turned out to be really fantastic. Thank you, JP. Uh, <laughs> it's time to hey, go John. back to Steven Universe and find a way. Rachel, uh, choose your number. Uh, 3, 6, 8, 11, 13, and 14 are taken. Uh, let's see. You're really liking this theme song. Uh, <laughs> I want to go with 15. 15. Ooh, very dark one for Steven Universe. Uh-oh. It gets while, dark sometimes. While your entire crew is on board a vessel, whichever vessel is most appropriate in this case, you find a dead body that has been clearly murdered. Everyone <laughs> in the squad... <laughs> swears innocence but is everyone telling the truth josh was it murder by death it may have been (laughs) Hmm, okay let's see people die when they are killed 
Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, Steven Universe could never do it. He's he's the most like loving, empathetic kid I have ever known. So he definitely didn't do it. And let's see. Hmm. Let's see. I mean, he's he's had to stab somebody and not killing them to save his own life, and he cried about it for episodes. I mean, there's no way he killed anybody. Let's see. Um, it was pretty traumatic, though. Let's see. Garnet's too indifferent to kill anybody. Uh, ironically, they have a no-killing-humans rule, so I'm trying to figure this one out. Well, it doesn't uh, have to be one of your squad that killed the person. They all they all claim innocence. So it yeah. may have been someone like else. Sounds like a job for Mystery Inc. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think here. Uh, Quick question. Could we call in another crew? <laughs> if Rachel sees you fit know? to call another crew, then that's fine. Yeah, you know what? You know what? Go right ahead. No, I kind of like meant in the idea like that you could take like be like say like hey my characters are like this sounds like a job for I don't like Ghostbusters or Mystery Inc and then you pick up the story from there like those characters show up in your in your universe and do their thing because you know there have been crossovers it can totally happen well honestly the the Jim Homeworld has no problems murdering people. <laughs> They haven't done it on on screen yet. They've they've almost done it on screen a few times though. So so basically, it would be an entire episode trying to figure out who did it in dealing with dealing with. Um, wow. Just uh, just as a quick point of information for uh, the listeners who haven't seen Steven Universe, the Crystal Gems are actually a group of rebels. They are in rebellion against the Homeworld. They're all from Homeworld, but they so, look so well, Amethyst's not from Homeworld. Okay, yeah. Would it here. be plausible, then, that someone from the Homeworld planted this unfortunate soul in an effort to cause so, dissension okay. among the ranks? Yeah. Well, I would say someone... I would say one of the Homeworld people on, on, on Earth is uh, killed somebody, and the poor Crystal Gems found it, and been spend the rest of the season trying to figure out who it was because there actually is a murder mystery going on this season. Aha! Uh-huh. More complicated than that, obviously. Oh, this could, uh, you could totally do like a like the whole every single bit of like the you know the mystery tropes things where you have your characters bring everybody in at the end to do the big reveal, which is really complicated and yet well, it's actually simple. what's going on right someone right now with the show. There's a trial and everything. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I would say. It's less about the death and more about realizing Homeworld can sink that low, that that they, they that they finally crossed the line of killing somebody, because um, so far they just slaughtered gems, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they want to uh, they they want to they want to wipe out all life on Earth and, tell, and terraform a col- and terraform it and turn it into a double colony, so they have no problem killing everything. Animals. Oh my God! They they and the like you know the machines from the Terminator need to like. Exchange notes. Yeah. So yeah, that would that would definitely be what happened. It, it would be it would be appropriately dark. It would probably take a few episodes, you know, for things because things have already been going that way, going interestingly anyway. So yeah, I would say it was more it was it was more than one episode, and it's more or less realizing that homeworld's crossed the line, and now they start getting desperate. More or less like the like the. The kind of thing where a show's only got one season left and things get really dark in the last half type of thing. Yeah. 
Like, Basically, I, they do, like, what's his name? Like, Alexander Dumas, what he did, and you just, because you're like, I don't want to deal with this no more, and you just kill off all your characters. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, so, Kenneth, you are now up. Rachel, by the way, that was a really interesting answer, because I, I didn't, it made a lot of sense now that you, you sp- spun it out, because they are dealing with a murder mystery, but it would, it sounds like it would actually unite your squad even more, because they would realize yeah. they're facing a, a much stronger foe. Uh, so, Kenneth, you have 1, 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, or 12. Pick your poison. Oh, as revealed by Arthur and Scrabble tiles on the new Earth, 6 times 9 does, in fact, equal 42. So I'm going to go with 9. 9. You've activated one of the traps. <laughs> it's a trap! Your commander, whoever that may be, has been assigned an important dignitary to transport to a meeting... In the center oh, of the galaxy. But unfortunately, the dignitary is Jar Jar Binks. Your whole crew is now threatening mutiny. And my task is to keep the crew together, not necessarily to accomplish the goal. Whatever you want the task to be. But yes, the crew should ideally still be intact at the end of this. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, well, and I think it's quite simple. As they are flying to the piece of ancient fruitcake that is the center of the universe, all they really need to do is quarantine Jar Jar in the room with Marvin, who is already quarantined for the sake of the crew's sanity. They get there. Beeblebrox eats the fruitcake. They boot the Gungan out. The Gungan is stark raving mad by that point. Perhaps even struck dumb. I like struck dumb and all as well. <laughs> all right, Matt, I have to go to my resident Gungan expert. Uh, hunters know their prey. Let me just put it that way. Would, oh, my God. Would Jar Jar actually have the mental capacity to be struck dumb by Marvin the android? We are assuming this was a very, very long voyage, by the way. Indeed. That. I would think he would have actually driven Marvin to suicide. <laughs> he's done that before it didn't work yeah I was just saying knowing Marvin and knowing Jar Jar I think Marvin would commit suicide and the fact that he committed suicide and it didn't work would freak him out mm. and Jar Jar would just sit there rocking back and forth in the corner for the rest of the ride see everybody <laughs> would <not> understand <laughs> I said he not die everybody <laughs> wins <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think him nailed it. Would Arthur Dent and Jar Jar hit it off? Very probably. <laughs> Very probably. So I suppose an alternate solution could be just to send those two off to drink together. <laughs> but I like my way better. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, your way possibly eliminates Jar Jar from uh, the galaxy as a player. Uh, so that's that's a bonus point. I would I would say. Uh, <laughs> you delivered him alive, but not useful. But then again, what else is new? Uh, um, I was gonna say, going to could say, could you technically deliver him any other way? <laughs> well, I suppose we could sir. install candles. <laughs> well, uh, if you re- if you flap him really quickly, his ears become a nice fan. Mm. Yeah, it's a, a little known fact about Gungan physiology. Which I'm sure George Lucas has spent a lot of time obsessing about Gungan physiology. 
<laughs> hey, we do not speak ill of the bearded one. <laughs> it, it just cringes me to think about anyone thinking about Gungan physiology. <laughs> oh, you can probably major in it somewhere, but let's 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 keep going. Uh, Colleen, Mystery Inc. is about to encounter another crisis. Oh no! Is it one, two, four, five, Jeez. seven, ten, or twelve? I wasn't really listening for most of that, so we'll go with number one. One. All right. While investigating a mystery at the Cove, uh, one of the members of Mystery Inc. has caught a very virulent disease. Uh, The locals in the area call it uh, the day bug because after a day, you're dead. And anyone who touches the person who is sick contracts it as well. What does your crew do next? Well, they do every single episode, run around freaking out, trying to solve the mystery, only to find that at the end that the whole thing was actually a lie and a ruse, so, so that some local person, the person who told them about it to begin with, could continue on with their nefarious scheme, probably of get, buying up, scaring up all the local residents and then buying the property cheaply so they could turn it into a giant like resort town and make tons of money. And then when they are <laughs> unmasked, of course, they do their signature. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for you meddling kids so it was like eating powder or something like that like yeah it was it was totally made up not even real <laughs> this drink saves the day and they do it in record time too because they only had a day to solve it and poor shaggy thought he was gonna die he's like scoob i don't want to go so you know what shag spent the entire time with scooby just like eating as much food as he possibly could <laughs> Just at the local restaurant, like I'll have everything. What seriously? Yes, every that's the half any episode. Just you know, eating one sausage link after another, and then they get they have such a big stomach ache, and he's like, "Well, Scoob, it doesn't matter because I'm dying anyway." And then Velma runs in, and it's like, "Shaggy, you're fine," and he's like, "Uh, uh oh, I got, I gotta go." So now all of a sudden he's like super happy, and so he eats more in celebration. <laughs> So the the only lasting side effect for this whole disease is heartburn. <laughs> hey, nothing that a couple of tums won't. And Scooby Snacks, you know, when when to Sco- take care okay. of. Okay. Ah, new idea: Scooby Snacks infused with Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck marketing that one. <laughs> Pink Scooby Snacks. Well, the the other the other lasting effect is, of course, the. Uh, the, the, the long-term brain sluggishness that comes with years of doing what they keep implying that Shaggy is obviously doing. <laughs> well played, Colleen. That, that's it. Yes, in that scenario, the disease is completely fictional. So that's exactly how Mystery Inc. would handle that crisis. Uh, so I give you the points, all the points on that one. Matt, last one of round two. You have two, four, five, seven, ten, or twelve. Let's go with... Let's take number four. Number four. A cadet has become a part of your crew and caused a minor clerical error that resulted (laughs) in ordering the wrong bolt, which resulted in that bolt flying off of a bulkhead and causing one of your main squad... To lose their one of their eyes, how do you handle this unfortunate situation? Hmm. Well, this is the Orville. 
and the scientific technology aboard the ship would actually be able to repair the eye. So the medical officer, being Dr. Finn, or as they call her by her first name, Claire, would be moderately exasperated, and knowing the characters, it's likely that it would be the helmsman, Gordon, who it happened to, because whenever something dumb happens that results in a minor to moderate injury, Gordon's usually the one getting injured. (laughs) So he would lose the eye, and Finn would be... Dr. Finn would be just exasperated with him, saying things like, I can't believe you got anything?" And he would keep trying to explain himself, but he would always do so poorly enough that she would just get exasperated with his explanation and cut him off before he could actually say it. And she would repair his eye reluctantly, tell him to be more careful about it, Then it would come out in the report that she had to remove a bolt from the back of his optic nerve, and it would come back to the ensign, or cadet, sorry, and the cadet would would get a polite yet firm talking to from the captain and likely be sent back to the academy. So you think that Ed would send her back? Hmm? So you think he'd send her back to the academy? Yeah, they'd go back to the academy with a letter of reprimand. You don't think that he would do anything more extreme? I think that's as extreme as he would possibly go. Because uh, Captain Mercer generally tries to give people as much of a benefit of the doubt as he can. I When I wrote the scenarios... Reprimand because there was an injury. When I wrote the scenario, I was thinking that if somebody had taken a Game of Thrones squad, that that apprentice would be killed uh, with extreme prejudice. Uh, <laughs> but you mean George R. R. Martin? Yes, but I am glad that Orville got it because I think everyone deserves a break for a minor clerical error. I mean, but still, she should have realized that the bolts were the wrong bolts. So she's probably going well, to have to go back to bolt 101. You have to keep in mind... That the, the the crew of the Orville is basically flying a mid-sized ship, so they're not getting the high-quality crew of ships like the Enterprise does in Star Trek. These are just normal people who made it through the Academy and went about their careers. It's the B team. <laughs> the, the, it, it's less of the B team and more of the well. They're not really good enough to be on a roster, but they're available. Okay, it's the D-plus team. Maybe. (laughs) Well played. Now, it is time for the third round. In that round, we should recap that uh, we have... uh, We had the Steven Universe crew uh, realizing that... Someone had been killed, and it's now a real serious matter. But they found a way. We had, uh, we had the Scooby-Doo gang thinking that they were going to die from a disease that turned out to be completely fictional, much like their villains. No, the villains are real. It's just the the scenarios are not true. True. <laughs> uh, we had the Heart of Gold dealing with Jar Jar Binks. 
and dealing with him in such a way that made him completely crazy, worse than he already was. We had the Orville uh, have a basically a typical day for the Orville where Gordon almost lost an eye, was repaired, and a cadet took responsibility for ordering the wrong bolt. And we had Josh or JP create the most intricate scenario so far where an, <laughs> a enemy soldier found inside the, plan, inside the Planet Express ship turned out to be a member of a race who was where the Planet Express ship was going, who then hijacked the Planet Express ship and leading to Zap Brannigan, causing them to be rescued and repulsing the aliens so much that they abandoned their whole mission. Well played, all of you. Now it is time for the final round. Oh yeah, uh, it is now time for round three. JP, I'm gonna t- so we only have five left. I'm gonna just do one, two, three, four, five of the order that they're in. So one, two, three, four, or five. That's amazing. This is in combination of my luggage. Oh my god! <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Well, my birthday is in the month of March, so I'm gonna go number three. Number three. Interesting choice. Okay. Your crew has been given a package that will take out a planet full of people who want to kill everyone on Earth. But when you arrive at the site to deliver the package, all you see are children wearing chef's hats. Ah, uh, what? <laughs> I think you just... Got SpongeBobbed. I think I might. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Can you repeat that, please? Yes. Your crew has been given a mission to take a package in this uh, to an enemy's campsite. In this case, enemy's planet uh, that will destroy them because they want to destroy everyone on Earth. When, however, when you arrive at the planet, all you find are children wearing chef's hats and uniforms. Go. Um, children of the corn, JP. Children of the corn. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's. It turns out that that they were sent to uh, the year three thousand version of Los Angeles, and they just don't realize it. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad somebody caught that one. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Um. Fry and Bender are alone on this mission, and uh, they they were left with the very useful advice of what would Leela do. Well, upon seeing the kids with chefs hats, thinking that you know they're about to get some supplies, some some much needed food delivered to to their uh, dystopian world, um, they they are very happy to see Fry and Bender. But of course, Fry and Bender know. Uh, this is going to be a package that destroys all these poor kids. Uh, Bender, of course, doesn't care, uh, except for uh, he he. They have to consider what would Leela do, uh, and Fry will not let that. <laughs> Fry will not let that go. <laughs> of course, Leela would not stand for the the killing of innocent children, but. It's it's a, it is a back and forth moral battle between Bender who doesn't care he just wants to to get the package delivered so he can go over to so he can go, head back home and uh, enjoy his blackjack and hookers and Fry uh, it, you know just does not want 
to kill anybody. Well, it goes back and forth, back and forth, but at the end of the day, Bender is right. They have to complete the mission or their entire, you know, their entire race will continue to be war. So they deliver the package and, uh, and it turns out that it actually was food that those kids get to eat and they, you know, fly back home and nothing happened. And so they asked Leela what was up with that. That was a really cruel prank. And, it turns out that Leela sent them on that while while uh, her and Amy and Hermes actually did the real mission of destroying the enemies just because they couldn't afford to have them screw it up this time. <laughs> Good news, everyone! I was actually... Go ahead, Rachel. I was thinking it would be like a weird Gordon Ramsay cooking show. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay yeah, and my, is daily. I was going to say my my first thought when uh, JP when you started this scenario was who in the right mind would send Bender and Fry on a mission? Well, you just had to wait for the ending. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> Again, a plausible plot for Futurama. <laughs> and the professor's like, "Good news, everyone! You get to destroy an entire planet <laughs> with my F ray." <laughs> I'll be monitoring with my smell-o-vision. No, uh, I, I do. I do like the idea of the Gordon Ramsay cooking show, though. Maybe if I yell loudly, you'll think I'm smarter than you. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay in uh, the head of Gordon Ramsay has been taken on this mission. Oh Jesus! Maybe oh, he, I, I, would, he, I would love uh, the, the the head of Gordon Ramsay following Elzar around at his restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> he is the package, and the, the people actually have such sensitive he- eardrums. That's the whole. Mm. That's the plan. <laughs> We we have finally found Gordon Ramsay's actual useful purpose in life. <laughs> well done, sir. Taking the most odd one I could come up with, and uh, making it more so. You took a twist ending from a twist ending and made it even better. So well done. Well, can, congratulations. Can, you just made a pretzel of an ending. Can I can I ask you an honest question? Yes. Was that the other trap? Not in the intended one, no. Oh, 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 all right. That one was just written to be plain out weird and see how it, someone would take it. That's not the trap. As they say on sports radio talk shows, I'm going to hang up and listen then. Yes, there's still two, four to go. And uh, Rachel, one, two, three, or four? Well, one, four, five. Well, yeah. It's cool. Uh... Well, my mom's favorite number is five. Let's go with that. I can blame her for that. Okay. This one is going to be interesting in your case because they already kind of fit this description. But here you go. Due to changing political climates, your squad's activities are now explicitly illegal and carry harsh penalties. But you find out this news during a precarious rescue mission. Do you continue the mission? Absolutely. They frequently cause massive property damage, and the residents of Beach City uh, get... Actually, there was a time where they were trying to boycott them because they were so angry they kept doing massive property damage. 
you know, it wasn't like it was their fault, you know, they were, they were trying to uh, destroy a monster, and when it died, it, it fell on a building, and, you know, so, <laughs> debris everywhere. Anyway, so, uh, oh yeah, they would absolutely do it, and uh, as, uh, as Pearl says in an episode, uh, while she's driving a car, and the, uh, the uh, cops turn on their lights, and Stephen tells her she has to pull over, she's like, and what am I supposed to do? I'm not exactly a citizen. She's a <laughs> she doesn't exactly have a driver's license. She isn't exactly legal. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, don't, they ultimately don't care what kind of uh, negative or positive reactions they get from people, because they're aliens. They don't no, uh, they haven't even been on Earth that terribly long. Well, Pearl's been a fugitive for sixty five hundred years. Oh, she like yeah, she says in the same episode where someone's like, You're a criminal and she says she you're a criminal now and she says, uh uh now I've been a criminal for over five thousand years. <laughs> uh, so none of that matters to them. They don't care. They'll they'll keep They'll keep protecting Earth. They'll do whatever they can. Uh, they, uh, I'm sure, if they got like arrested or something, they'd somehow figure out something. In some they'll talking. find a way. They'll find a way. Hashtag. Well, this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this scenario was designed to test if your crew would be lawful good or would be uh, chaotic good or neutral good. Uh, so well, I, I think it's uh, very yeah. interesting that they they're going to be truly good to the principles despite what the law says. Oh, yeah. The human laws mean nothing to them. Somewhat, somewhat literally. Human laws mean nothing. Uh, I spin face of your human laws. You know, and another way to look at it, too, which is be like, okay, fine, we're not rescuing this individual. We're helping them move. Right? <laughs> we're liberating. That's what we're doing. Yeah. You know? It, we're moving them location to another. We're, we're moving a package. Uh, oh wait. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. That was well done, Rachel, and your crew was perfect for that uh, crisis scenario, so well played. Yes. Uh, Kenneth, one, two, or uh, four? Four. All right. This one's a little bit abstract, so I want you to interpret it as you want to, okay? (laughs) The first time you encountered your earlier selves in a reflection in a mirror... They were friendly. Now, on the third occasion, they all have blank stares and foaming mouths. Hmm. Can you repeat that? Of course, because it's really weird. The first time you encountered your earlier selves in a reflection, uh, they were friendly. Now, on their third visit, they have blank stares and foaming mouths. Hmm. Gonna go Zaphod in the glasses again. This time, Trillian is probably going to be running some numbers trying to figure out what's going on with the drive. So you think the probability drive cause is, is gonna cause... Is, what's the cause behind this? Oh, yes. Is it a serious problem? And it, uh, or is it just, huh, that's interesting. Mm. Arthur is freaking out. Marvin is monologuing because he's Marvin. Very useful Marvin, but Marvin. Ford is likely 
likely noting that, yeah, that's that's cool, but can we move on? So I would say eventually, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect the grand scheme of things. So Unless they found out that what was happening in the mirror was actually affecting what happened in their past. And like yes, their, their memories is, are starting to change. This is now now. <laughs> when will then be now? Soon. <laughs> it's a time warp of a scenario. That is a fair point. Interesting. Now, can the probability drive within Hitchhikers, I mean, I've read it and know it pretty well, but can the probability drive change the past to affect the present? Yes. So theoretically... Or the future to affect the past. Yes. So theoretically, what they could be seeing in the mirror is actually what's happening in the past to the future that is going to now result in the change in the present. This is true. But that would be up to them to figure out if that was what's really going on, or if it was just the shit playing a joke. I was going to say, if the change was actually happening in the present, then they wouldn't necessarily notice the change, because the change would be how they were used to living. Ah. (coughs) Unless it's a change in the future, and they just think it's that. Which is true. Although, I'm picturing Marvin with a foaming mouth, which is kind of entertaining. Uh... Unlikely that, as it all is, but it could be entertaining. That would be interesting, yes. But yeah, I, I probably, yeah, I'm glad you got this one because the probability drive is the only one that could explain it. Uh, if Colleen would have got it, I would have accounted it for Shaggy being high again. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, that wow. That would have for one, for one mouth, right? The, well, the he, he sees them all. Is... <laughs> The drive is the cause and the solution for all of the greatest and worst things in all of the universes. All of them. All the things. Mm. It's basically R2-D2 once it evolves into, like, you know, a higher intelligence. Yeah, I can agree with that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with eventually Trish is going to get the drive back online and it's going to save their butts again. I like it. I like it. So, Colleen and Matt, cop out, but it works. One of the traps is left, and the other one is actually kind of dark. So, are you going to get the dark one or the trap one or two, Colleen? Uh, let's see. What is it? One if one if by land, two if by sea. Uh, so let's go with the let, let's 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 go with uh, let's go with two. Two. Uh, before I read this one, you have to tell me who you think the leader of Mystery Inc. is. I don't even think they know who the leader is. Choose uh, one. Well, because, okay, I gotta think. Um, Velma. Velma, alright. Your entire squad except Velma has been imprisoned in an impregnable fortress guarded by a creature known only as the Killer Rabbit of Canarog. Trap activated, was... you may proceed. Oh, that was it? They've just been there just trapped somewhere? By the Killer Rabbit of Canarog. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, they're just trapped. Yes. Right? Okay, they're just trapped. Well, uh... Well, I know they probably start out with Velma going something to like saying Jinkies, 
and uh, trying to use that big brain, brain of hers to find to find a way. Uh, but as for um, everybody else, I can see that initially Scooby and um, Oh my god, I was about to say Scrappy, but we're going to pretend I did not say that. And <laughs> Scooby <laughs> and Shaggy are initially freaking out, but um, and uh, but eventually the those two, knowing those two, you know, and their desperation to try to find a way out, actually do find their way out because they manage to like do something stupid and then they're able to get out. Um, and uh, but they leave and they don't tell Fred and they don't tell Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> Because they didn't even realize that they were finding their way out until after the facts. And, and they so somehow it's get around. They don't even encounter the rabbit. Oh, the rabbit? No. Big, sharp, pointy teeth. Um, well, that's no problem, right? Because, you know, all they need is the holy hand grenade. Um, but anyway, so then, um, so yeah. So in the meantime, Velma has managed to, uh, you know, find, locate, uh, you know, King Arthur and his knights. And is able to get them uh, to help her out. And then they are the ones who use the uh, the holy hand grenade to take care of the horrible rabbit. Um, and they manage to get into the uh, fortress where they find that uh, Fred is running around singing a bunch of crazy-ass songs. And Daphne, in the meantime, has managed to get, like, a bunch of bed sheets together. And she's just, like, you know, had enough of Fred and has decided to uh, escape out the window. <laughs> The fortress probably has a comically large number of doors, right? Of course. You know, they can, you know, exit one and, like, you know, the rabbit's chasing them. And then they have, like, <laughs> some random random person just kind of, like, doing a weird cameo. And then they close the door. The killer you know, rabbit know. with the Harlem Globetrotters and the monkey music of the monkeys. Or, or the, you know, the yakety sacks in the background, of course. <laughs> Chomp. Yeah, with, with uh, Velma and uh, you know King Arthur and his and his many knights also running around me doors. Yeah, <laughs> the knights say me, of course. Well, you know their weapon of choice is a herring. <laughs> I now want a Scooby Doo Monty Python crossover. So, <laughs> oh, the possibilities! The possibilities. And then when all is said and done, they just get together and they go to that random diner that just pop, you know, that, that just pops up next to the castle, of course, and uh, they get themselves a bunch of hamburgers. But the person who is running the diner is the French soldier who insults them. Uh, no, it's Tim. It's Tim. <laughs> he must answer questions three to get a trick. Yeah, it's Tim's diner. <laughs> And the the special is the flesh wound. <laughs> flesh wound? Oh God! <laughs> it's a it's a it's steak tartare. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Actually, I probably if I had a restaurant and offered steak tartare, I would call it the flesh wound. <laughs> this could be one of those scenarios too, where the uh, at the end at the end of the day, because uh, they they were attracted by the explosion that the hand grenade made. That uh, the police show up and end up arresting um, everybody, including uh, Mr. Ying. And Scooby Doo goes away in handcuffs, which poses <laughs> the question: How do you handcuff a dog? <laughs> uh, Josh, you you own a dog, uh, JP. How would you handcuff said dog? I don't. Um. Yeah, my dog. That's easier said than done, man. <laughs> I got. I, I have a German Shepherd mix, and the thing the thing about about mutts are they uh they are happier, healthier dogs, and 
if it's a high energy dog, that means they have even more energy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, don't forget that what Scooby would say, dog, where? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> now, Scooby would be wearing like the loose handcuffs and they would actually could fall off his paws. But he because he's so like, you know, shamed and something, he just wouldn't he wouldn't realize it and just go away. <laughs> Or but, or he or he or he you know dress up like as as a woman and just walk on by. If if you're asking like what what are some of the techniques I had to do when I when I, I first took her home from the pound to uh, to 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 reel her in, uh, I absolutely did like the classic Family Guy James Woods ooh piece of candy ooh piece of candy <laughs> trick. <laughs> and I will tell you that absolutely works with dogs. <laughs> Oh, and, Scooby, and James it'd be Woods. a Scooby snack. <laughs> well played. Uh, well, well done dodging the killer rabbit there. I'm glad that Velma was the one responding to it because she, you know, she's smart. Uh, she knew who to find. Uh, Matt, are you ready for the last scenario, which by default, yours? All right, let's have it. All right. Your crew is offered a resource that will make humanity infinitely better. Fill in the blank with what that resource will be by a previously unknown race, but only if they leave behind a donation, a crew member to live out the rest of their days as a slave for this culture. And they have chosen Bordis. <laughs> so do I describe what happens to the people or to Bordis? Go anything. Go. <laughs> well, Bordis is a member of a race called the Mocklin, which they're, they're, they're basically like if the Klingons were stockier and instead of being completely focused on cotton, they were completely focused on manufacturing. Uh, they, they are also very, very stoic like Vulcans. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine imagine a Klingon with the stoicism of a Vulcan and all of their focus is on manufacturing. Which is why and this, this crew, uh, they think that this, this planet thinks that he could change their way of production or something along those lines, but he, he'd be working just for them nonstop. It would be a miserable existence if Captain Mercer agreed to this agreement, but humanity would benefit immensely. Honestly, Mercer would not agree to it. it... Because they, uh, they they have actually thoroughly established that they never, ever leave a crew member behind. Even if it requires them to violate their prime directives. So, they would, they would actually log the encounter and attempt to open a line of communication, but they would make it explicitly clear that they would not surrender a member of their crew. I feel like Isaac would tell them it was worthwhile to do it because of logic and Isaac things. Would, Isaac would potentially volunteer so that he could study them because the because he's synthetic, so he can just keep. He doesn't have a set lifespan, so he would likely volunteer to do it. Go in. And then study them and probably steal almost all of their technology. So here's a and question then. then. If Isaac's if they if they pick Bordis, Bordis mm-hmm. obviously says no. But Isaac says, 
Captain Mercer, I will do it. I will leave the crew and go live with them for the rest of my synthetic life, you know, quote unquote, and you can get this benefit. Does Captain Mercer let Isaac voluntarily become a slave to this race for this amazing resource? Yes. And my argument for that is that Isaac has been used for long-term observation before. When they found a planet that phase shifts between uh, parallel universes, I'm sorry, dimensions, and it's 30 days in our dimension, but in their dimension, it's 700 years between appearances, uh, Isaac went and observed the culture and actually wound up uh, inventing them several hundred years beyond us. Good job. And uh, he, he actually wound up changing their entire culture and turned them into a completely pacifistic race. So on that track record, Isaac would be sent and he would use his powers of observation and he would slowly develop power and influence until he effectively changed the course of that entire species. To the point where they actually let him go. would get them to join the Federation. It may take several hundred years, but in the long game, it would work. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. They call it the Union of Planets because, you know, copyright. Yes, but same same basic idea. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the Confederation. So you think Woo, if they pick... Up. Yes. You up up. So hmm. they would pick Bordis and then Isaac takes a spot. And then that, that actually... That would actually be a really good episode because the beginning when Bordis saying no and stuff, it could be a lot of humor with like... What would Bordis and then Isaac sacrifice, quote unquote? Because Orville. Well, Bordis would say yes, but Mercer would overrule him yeah. and say no. Orville actually does a really good job of mix of taking a humorous episode and then sticking the knife in and causing it to have a tragic ending. And I, I, specifically, the episode I'm thinking of is Bordis having a daughter. Yes, uh, that episode starts out funny and interesting, and then it gets kind of intellectual. And then it ends. And it's one re- of the first episodes. It ends really dark, and so the Orville could take this scenario and run with it. It kind of reminds me of an episode. I think it's in uh, the first season of like Babylon Five, where there's this race is, that is dying, uh, and they're trying to, and the uh, the crew of Bab Five is like racing to find a cure, but the cure comes too late, and the entire the entire species dies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, spoiler. Well, no, I mean, yeah, so. That that crisis was specifically constructed to see uh, would your crew follow the axiom of my crew, the Star Trek crew, and value the many over the one. Uh, so a very interesting scenario and well well thought out, Matt. And I'm glad Orville got it because basically it is a Star Trek crew. Uh, so <laughs> pretty much uh, well played. So in that round. We had uh, the Futurama crew dealing with children wearing chef hats, which was all a, just a way to get Bender and Fry to avoid the important stuff, which makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. And we had the members of the Heart of Gold seeing reflections of themselves in a mirror and realizing the probability drive is just being a jackass. <laughs> uh, we had the gems, the crystal gems, saying that, damn your laws, we are still going to be amazing uh, um, amazing forces for good and rescue someone, as they would. Of course, they wouldn't say damn, but the point is still valid. Uh, we had Mystery Inc. rescued from the grips of the Killer Rabbit of Canarog. 
And, of course, we had the Orville leaving behind Isaac to make humanity a better race for all. And perhaps the most poignant ending to a scenario in the whole evening. So, well done, Matt. Uh, So, which of you did the best? It is not up to me to decide. So, all five of you, in the same order we've been going, will pick one of the other four to name who you think has shown that their crew... In the midst of an amazingly strange or odd or daunting crisis, could handle the tragedy and make it best. So, JP, of the four other candidates, which best handled the crises and has shown their squad to be superior? Yeah, wow. I, I feel like our votes should be anonymous here, but I, I guess. Ah, uh... that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good Wait. point. Let me rephrase this then. No. Um, well, that's not, it's not really a good way to do that, is there? No, no, no I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely joking. It's okay. Uh. <laughs> we could, we could like, we could do like fake names. Like I could be like, oh, uh, my favorite is PJ. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> we don't know who that is now, do we? we are, it's you know, it's clearly like... Kenneth. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, or my or my favorite was bats. <laughs> so PJ, who do you who do you pick? <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, Knowing that all of you did an amazing job, so this is not yes. on your creativity, but showing which crew handled their respective crises in the best way. Uh, the. Uh... The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy crew, uh, Kenneth, you did a very good job of showing how they would successfully handle every situation. Uh, but if you, but due to a combination of uh, actually having them handle these situations well and just being the funniest, in my opinion, I, I'm going to have to give it to uh, the Mystery Machine, <laughs> Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> One vote for Mystery Inc. Uh, Rachel, excluding the Crystal Gems, which of your colleagues has shown their squad to be superior? JP! <laughs> well done, Planet Express. Kenneth! Thank you. Excluding the Heart of Gold, which of your colleagues has shown their squad to be superior? Planet Express, Express crew, JP. That's two votes, JP. I feel like this is Survivor. Yeah, that's too kind. Uh, Colleen, excluding Mystery um, Machine. I'd have to go with the Heart of Gold for getting rid of the Gungan for, for good. Yeah. One vote, Heart of Gold. <laughs> well done. Uh, and Matt, excluding the Oroville, which squad has shown its superior skills? I'm, I'm torn here because I always love it when anyone kills Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I but, know, right? Right, but I I think I have to actually give it to the crew of the Planet Express. Yes, <laughs> because they just they always manage to find an out in the most unnecessarily complicated way possible. <laughs> <laughs> But then, but then they, they explain it in a way using very little words that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. Yes, if you remove all logic from it, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yep. I gotta say, 
as your resident DM, if you want to call it that for this episode, all five of you deserve a round of applause because you took crazy scenarios <laughs> and did really, really well. And you stay true and loyal to your squad's values. Uh, so I think all five, off. exactly. <laughs> I think all five of you have shown your squads to be uh, able to handle any of these crises. Uh, so well done to all five of you. I would be interested to see if we could re reinvestigate this another time with five different squads, uh, with new scenarios. Uh, but well done to all of you. And with that, JP, I do give you the crown for this episode. You have won Whoa. a rapid fire episode. You, yeah, have, you have redeemed yourself. <laughs> You've done it. You SpongeBob. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, and it's at this point that I announced that Thor's hammer part three will return in two months. No, uh, <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, uh, no, Yay. Mew Mew is back. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I do hope that will be true, but we don't have an exact date for it, but it will be coming up. Uh, but in any event, and we're also at some point, the next rapid fire episode that we will do is actually going to be uh, how would your favorite characters uh, have their own Mortal Kombat style fatality. Oh, uh, so yes. that will be coming up soon where we have non Mortal Kombat characters and you tell me how that they did, how they would do a Mortal Kombat style fatality. That's going to be quite interesting if I do say so myself. We need to get the fatality like sound effect for that episode. Oh, you know it's going to be queued up. <laughs> Finish him! <laughs> Flawless victory, fatality. Of course, fatality. Yes. <clears throat> of course, you could also have death by snoo snoo, uh, which would would be tragic in its own right. It would be quite the fatality. Snoo-ality. <laughs> I always so, thought of a, a really a really funny lame way when a Mortal Kombat battle would be technicality. <laughs> it's like it's like your 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 opponent is getting ready to do a fatality, and then all of a sudden the guy who's dead in his feet just goes, "Oh no, wait! He crossed the line! He crossed the line!" Cheated! Yeah. Cheated. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, the, in a VR game, it's virtuality. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many allergies. This will be a fun episode, and it'll be happening in a, in a few weeks here on B and Q. Uh, but our next episode we're going to do next week is actually Ed will be coming back to us, and he will be hosting an episode on the best novel written by Stephen King. Uh, so get your horror minds at work uh, for that one. But we have one thing to do first. After all of these crazy scenarios, there's only one way to end this crazy episode. Matt, you know what to do. Follow the example of your friend Kenneth and kill the Gungan! Well, tonight, after all of these misadventures, Jar Jar Binks was on the road trying to escape again. So, he decided the only place he could go is the center of the universe. And when he arrived, he found a fruitcake. And as he picked it up to take a bite, he was struck dead, hit head on 
by the heart of gold. So he applied the heart of gold directly to the forehead? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jar Jar probably would require you to use him head on. I don't even know if that's sold anymore, but that commercial was so damn annoying. But anyway, Matt, well done. Well killed Gungan. He's been killed twice this episode, people. Well, he's been driven, struck dumb, and then he was killed. So, uh, Kenneth and Matt, a good tag team on that one. I want to thank the whole uh, panel. Rachel, Colleen, Kenneth, JP, and Matt, all of you were, were did fantastic on this one. Uh, so, thank you very much. Uh, please check out Fleetwit. Check out Blood and Gourd Comics. And uh, for all of my fellow panelists, this is Josh signing off for Big Nerdy Questions. Catch you next time. Thank you.